Tonight I'm going to be continuing. I, I have lost count of how many sermons. I think that maybe this makes 14, 13 or 14 that have kind of centered around or centered on a, a text that has to do with the Holy Spirit, Pentecostal winds. Tonight is going to be no different. Um, and I hope, my, my hope through this is that you see that the Spirit is so much more than just speaking in tongues. Uh, the Spirit is, is very much, a, and the very first sermon was about being all in, looking at that Old Testament feast of being all in. But tonight, I'm going to look at living water, John chapter 7, uh, verses 37 through 39. But then after I read that, I'm going to talk a little bit about that, but then I'm going to go back and use some illustration out of chapter 4 in John because it also talks about living water there. But as you turn to John chapter 7, verse 37, starting there, if you would stand or to be on the screen, if you'd like to read it from the screen. Tonight, we need to understand that we need some living water. There's nothing else that will make us an effective witness for Jesus Christ. Nothing except for living water. And in verse 37, it said, In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as Scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Now, in the, verse 39, it explains all of this fully. It says, but this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. Heavenly Father, tonight I have a simple prayer. Lord, let your spirit be present in this house. Not just present, but abundant, overflowing, controlling. Lord, let us worship in spirit tonight. Lord, let us understand the power of the spirit in our life. Lord, let the Spirit come through this church and through each of us, Lord, as a river of living water. We thank you tonight. We give you praise, glory, and honor in Christ's name. Amen. Now, it says that in the last day, they were at the Feast of, of Tabernacles, and that actually starts back at the very beginning of chapter 7 and runs all the way through the end of chapter 8. And Jesus is there, and he is uh, debated and talked with and spoke with the Jews. And, uh, you know, I told you all just a, a few weeks ago when I preached about Nicodemus, how that this seemed to be a turning point where Nicodemus had started to maybe soften a little and started to question and maybe didn't want to um, totally discount Christ while trying to hold on to what uh, he had. But it's in that same setting where Jesus is talking here. And I love the way that it puts it. It's at the very last day of the feast, and everybody is getting ready to go about 
on their own ways. In other words, they're going to be encountering other folks other than the Jews, other than their brothers and sisters in Christ, that is their gather, or brothers and sisters in God, I guess I should say, that is gathered there with them worshiping. And Jesus stands up and he just don't talk. He don't grab a scroll to read, but he cries out. It's not talking about a cry coming out with tears, but it means that he stood up and he screamed forcefully, listen to me. We don't have that behold here, but we have Jesus standing up and begging them with everything in him, if any of you in here thirst, if any of you in here feel even the least bit empty day to day in your life, you need to come to me. You need to come to me and you need to drink. I would tell you the same thing this evening, that if there is anybody in this church house that even feels just a little bit empty day to day, you feel like you can't get what you need to just feel comfortable. Paul said he was comfortable in every situation, in every circumstance he was in, he was fine with that. It didn't matter whether he was in prison. It didn't matter whether he was preaching in a church. It didn't matter where he was at. He was content with whatever his station was. Why? Because Paul had that river of living water flowing through him. He had encountered him on the Damascus road. He had been a terrible human being up to that point, but when he encountered Jesus, when he encountered the living Christ, his Savior, what he done was had a change of heart and all of a sudden he had rivers of living water flowing out of his belly so that when him and Silas was caught in a prison in the middle of the night, they let out a midnight cry. They started crying and praising and singing to God, not complaining, not looking up and trying to find God in the clouds and saying, why am I? in this situation, why is this, why is that? All they did was started lifting the name of God and all of a sudden things broke loose and things changed. Christ was looking at them in the very place where they were supposed to be worshiping him and saying, if you are empty, come. If you thirst, come and let me give you something that will help you out. Tonight, that same Christ still stands. Jesus is still standing in the middle of the churches and he's still trying to tell you if any man or woman or even a child of age to make decisions is in this house and you feel like you are empty from day to day, he is still crying out to you. Come, drink, let me give you something to help you out. And when you come and you drink, then you can be very much like Paul was. You can be in a place where you are content because out of your belly is flowing rivers of living water. That river we know from the very next verse is the Holy Spirit. For some reason we think that we don't need to carry the Holy Spirit with us every day. Well, you know, I would tell you, you don't need to carry it with you every day. What you need to do is let the Holy Spirit flow through you every day and out of you every day. And to show the love of Jesus Christ every day to all of those that are around you. So that you can go out, like I read out of 1 Corinthians, I think it was chapter 5 this morning, that Paul didn't say not to associate with them out there. You know what to expect out there. You need to go let your love light shine, as we like to say, out into the world. You need to be soft. You need to be light. 
But we also know that the Holy Ghost is now given. You see, when Jesus was saying this in their midst in the temple, the Holy Ghost, and what he's saying was not yet given in that baptism of the Holy Spirit like we see the outpouring on Acts. We know from reading the Old Testament that the Spirit rested upon those that judged Israel. We see David begging for the Holy Spirit not to be taken away from him in Psalm 51. We see a couple of different places toward the end of Isaiah where there is talk of the Holy Spirit being active and present. We see the Spirit of God throughout, but what he is talking about is as of yet the Holy Spirit has not come to baptize with fire. You are not endued with that power from on high. You have to go and wait and tarry for that to come. Because at the time, Jesus was still on earth. He was still walking and teaching. He would go into the synagogue and pick up the scrolls and he would declare to them that it is the year of the Lord where he has come to set the captive free and to heal those that are hurting, to bind up the brokenhearted. But as I was reading this little part, I was reminded that there is another place that Jesus talks about living water. Now understand that living water, we would uh, much consider, if we would hear it today, we would be much like probably they were in the temple, and we would be much like that woman at the well in chapter 4. What I mean by that, Jesus said that he was living water. But in, when they heard it in their ears, what they would have heard would be something similar to running water. You see, if you go out into the woods and you find an old stump and it's rained and it's got water that's just stagnated into it, it's no good for anything. If you drink it, you'll get sick. If it hasn't rained for a good long while and you go to a creek and you find one little pond of water left in it, it's stagnated and got moss growing on it, you just leave it alone and you walk on. But on the other hand, if you go to a creek that is full and is running, you can pretty much rest assured that you can probably get a little sip out of that and you'll be okay. It's running. It keeps things clean out. So the words that he used was very similar or would have sounded very similar and they didn't quite understand, I believe, what he was trying to tell them because they were hearing yesterday and he's trying to tell them about tomorrow. Much like this woman at the well. He wasn't talking about a creek that's running in the woods, but what he was trying to tell them and what he tries to tell her is that this river of living water is an outflow, an overflow of the Spirit running out of you. It's not just the Spirit working to pull you to a place where you repent to where you go to water baptism, but he's saying it is something that is overflowing and pouring out of you that you might be determined like Jeremiah was that I use all the time. He said he was determined not to go forth and spread the Word of God, but he said it become like fire shut up in his bones and he could not contain it. That's what this river of living water will do for you. How do I know? Because we've got a story that explains exactly that. You know, I imagine there's so many in here that want to see family saved, that want to see children saved. You might even be in here and not understand how to reach that point yourself. But I love chapter 4. Let me get over there because if I don't, I will keep you all here all night. And I didn't see nobody bring me a lunch, so. 
We know the start of the story that he left Judea and departed again into Galilee. And it said he must needs go through Samaria. There's plenty of debate on why he had to go through. I suspect it was just to meet this little woman that had no idea that her life was about to change forever. Now there's all kinds of sermons in there that she had came and, and all of her lifestyle and all of her background would suggest that she should be a woman that was not noted in history. You know, we, we look at people and we say, you know, someone's not going to remember them a hundred years from now. They have made no impact. They haven't, you know, wrote great books or great papers. And, you know, sometimes even in ourselves we may think, what kind of impact am I going to make that's going to have me preserved, my posterity preserved, that people will remember that I made an impact. This woman was one of those that surely would have thought she would have never made an impact in history. There was no reason for her to be recorded or remembered. There's no reason for anybody in here to ever be recorded and remembered. So don't elevate yourself or think too lowly of yourself. There's no reason for me to ever be recorded and remembered. Other than in the Lamb's Book of Life, I hope to be written down and recorded and remembered there. But in the annals of history, none of us here really have any reason to be recorded. Yet here is this woman that has been married multiple times that is coming when no one else is at the well, probably for social reasons, but I would imagine it is also because she was tired of being written. She was probably tired of all of the questions, but yet here was someone sitting at the well that was going to change her life forever and would have her recorded and preserved in the best history book that has ever been written. Tonight, the very same thing can happen to you in this house. Why? Because I don't know what your past life is. I don't know what you even done today before you come to church. But what I know is that in this house, there is a man sitting at the altar and his name is Jesus. And he is just waiting to be able to change the life of someone if you will come and hear what he has to say now this woman comes by the well and I think there's some principles and I've got a couple of notes here to try to stay on track to tell you some things that you need to do verse 7 I, I really like that and I think we could explore it deeper than what I'm going to and I may at some point Jesus looked at her and he never told her who he was or why he was there he simply looked at her and he said, give me a drink. Now the short and the simple lesson, and I'm going to leave this lesson short and simple, is you need to listen. You need to trust God, even though you may not know him tonight. You might be in this house and you know of God, you know the name of Jesus, you've heard of this spirit that I talk of, but you don't really know him. You still need to trust because he's still sitting here asking you to give him your very best. He's still sitting here and asking you to bring what he has blessed you with to the altar to him. The best thing that he has blessed you with is not your money, not your talents, not anything else in this life. The best thing he has blessed you with is life. And what he simply wants you to do is come and bring your life to the altar. You may not know him. You may not know all that much about him. You've just got this sense, this feel that you need to do something different. And that is God telling you, you need to come and trust me. 
he was looking at this little Samaritan woman and he said, not just give me a drink, what he was saying to her is, trust me. Trust me. You don't know me yet, but trust me. Now I would tell you, you also need to quit making excuses. Why do I say that? In verse 9, this little woman made excuses. I don't know her name, but I know that she looked at Jesus and said, How is it that you, a Jew, are asking me for a drink? I'm a woman of Samaria, and you Jews have never had any dealings with me. You've never even looked my way, and here you are asking me for something. We, won't we do that with God all day long? God, you didn't bless me with this. You didn't give me this talent. Lord, I can't do that. How is it that you are even asking me of something when you know you've got someone more talented down the road? You've got someone smarter over here. You've got someone that has more experience over here. God, why are you even looking at me? You need to go ask them. You need to quit. You need to quit making excuses now, tonight, here. You might even know Jesus Christ. You might have submitted your life to Him. And you might be chasing after Him, just trying to make it to heaven. But He has called you into something greater. And yet what you do is you look at Him like this little Samaritan woman. And you beg of Him to go find someone else like Jesus. Don't know what He's doing. Because that's what you're doing when you look at Jesus and say, why are you calling me? Why are you not using them? You're looking at him and you're saying, God, you don't know what you're doing. Now, we don't like to hear that flip side of that. We will look at God and say, God, you have no idea what you're doing. I know better and you need to listen to me. It sounds kind of foolish that way, don't it? But you know, you also need to be truthful with God. You also need to be truthful with God. I know God already knows. He knows things that I've done that I don't even remember that I've done. Or He did. They're under the blood. You may come to the altar and you may give your life to Christ and you may not remember half of what you've done. You have to repent for something two years from now. Something will pop back in your mind. Oh Lord, I did that. I've been there, I've done that, but we need to be honest with God because Jesus sat down and he looked at this little woman and he said, bring, go, get your husband and bring him here. Now she could have lied and went and grabbed the man that she was with and brought him back and tried to get one over. But she didn't because she knew that there was something about this man that was in front of her. So she said, I have no husband. She didn't tell the whole story, but she didn't lie. He asked a very specific question, bring me your husband. And she didn't lie. She said, I don't have one. But Jesus went on and told her the whole story. And we'll do that same thing also. We won't tell the whole story. We won't lie about it. 
Because we're asked a very specific question and we'll give the most specific answer possible to avoid the rest of the story. That's what she did. But Jesus looked at her and he said, you're right. You don't have a husband. You've had five of them. And the one that you're shacked up with now ain't him. Ain't any of them. And she looked at him and she said, I perceive you are a prophet. You're something special. Tonight, there's someone special here that already knows everything you have ever done. And he still loves you. Matter of fact, when he was sitting and talking with that woman at the well, he had already looked ahead in time some 2,000 years, and he already knew every sin I would ever commit. And you know what he done? He still decided to go to the cross and die for me. But there's something else we need to do, too. We need to quit making excuses. We need to trust God, quit making excuses. We need to be truthful with God. But we also need to ask God what He wants. You see, this woman had two paths she could have followed. And it may shock you to learn that one of them was sinful and following tradition. The other was following Jesus Christ. In verses 21 through 24, Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem, because she had questioned him. She said, We worship here and you worship there. Now what am I supposed to do? He said, You're not going to worship in either. Worship the Father. That's what he said. Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor at Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship ye know not what. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh and now is when true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. Tonight, every one of you in here has to make a decision anew. I'm not saying you're saved. I'm not saying you're not saved. But you have to make a decision anew every day when you get up, every time when you walk into church, every moment that you breathe, you have to make a decision whether you're going to worship in spirit and truth or whether you're going to worship tradition, whether you're going to follow sin or whether you're going to follow Jesus. And the truth of the matter is, is if we follow, just like I preached this morning, if we put anything, even if it's this, which is what I used for an example this morning, if we put this on the shelf above the Bible, and I'm talking figuratively, if we say that this is what you have to sing to get to heaven, this is your idol, and you will not see the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus is telling this little woman. If you believe that you have to worship on a certain mountain, or in a certain way, or a certain place, you're not going to make it to heaven. But if you you will worship God the Father in spirit and in truth. That's what God seeks. And that is what will find you written down in that book of life. That is what will find you being able to enter in into the presence of God. That is what, following me, is what will find you going to heaven, not following what someone else told you. Hallelujah. 
And it's odd with the disciples. And we're disciples, right? So I'm, I'm, I might make y'all mad again. I'm surprised y'all have me back after this morning. You know what the disciples did in all this? Here's this little woman that's not even supposed to be in the presence of the Lord. She's a Samaritan. Jesus went through, I believe, just to encounter her and change her life. The disciples went into town to buy meat. I guess they didn't trust God to provide. Chapter 6 hasn't got here yet. They come back. And they simply marveled in themselves that he would be talking to this little woman. That's verse 27, chapter 4, 27. And while they are sitting, the ones called by Jesus Christ are sitting. This little woman gets up and goes. While they are sitting and wondering why Jesus is talking to someone, the one that they're wondering about gets up to go do the work of the Father. You see, we get so accustomed, I think, sometimes to being in the presence of the Lord, we wonder why someone, a new convert, will shout the way they do or will be happy the way they do or why are they going out and telling everybody everything about their business? Why? Because Jesus has revealed their business to them. They found out that He already knows everything that they've ever done and it doesn't matter anymore because He's put it under the blood and they're just excited to go tell someone that they have found someone that can set them free and yet we get so numb to it that we will do just like these disciples and we will set down and we'll do exactly what they Jesus is talking about in 435 you see they didn't even have the vision of this new convert He had told the disciples that I've got meat that you don't know anything about. You will look around and you'll say there's still four months to, to piddle before it's time to work the harvest. That's Steve Webb hillbilly version. But I look at you and tell you, Jesus looked at his disciples and said, I'm looking at you and telling you, you don't have four months to work. You're sitting here lollygagging and not doing what I've asked you to do time and again. And yet here is this little woman that just had one single encounter with me and she's already out doing the work of the kingdom. He said, look, lift up your eyes and look on the fields for they are white already to harvest. They were sitting and marveling at who he was working through instead of the work that needed to be done. We do the same thing in the church house sometimes. I'm guilty of doing it sometimes. I'll sit back and say, my Lord, how did you pick them to use? Don't act like you haven't either. We've all done it at some point. We'll look and say, my Lord, you're using them? How are you using them? I didn't even know they were saved. Well, this woman's town didn't know she had saved either because she'd come out being someone that was living with a man that had been married five times before that had no reason to be able to proclaim anything. One, she was a woman. Two, she had had so many marriages in the past that her credibility was absolutely destroyed. Three, she shouldn't have been talking to a Jew to begin with because she was a woman from Samaria. 
when she went back, do you think that she should have had any credibility at all? No. The disciples should have been the ones with credibility going and doing the work, but they just sit. This woman had an urgency because she had found the Messiah. That's why she left her water pot. I'm kind of going back and forth there. If you go back to verse 28, you see that as the disciples come back and marvel, this little woman was so excited she had come to draw water out of the well. But she got so excited that she left her water pot. She left everything behind. I'm reminded of when Elijah had to go get Elisha. What did he do? He broke down all of his equipment. He got rid of his oxen. He did away with everything that he was supposed to do, but he wanted to follow Elijah so that he could get that blessing and so that he could work for the Lord. So he left everything behind. Here's this little Samaritan woman that she gets such a sense of urgency that even though she's supposed to take water back to the village, she doesn't. She leaves her water pot sitting. And she went her way into the city. And you know what she did? She didn't look at him and say, y'all need to change your life because there's Jesus over here and he ain't, he ain't going to take you unless you do. Ain't that how we witness a lot of times? If you don't change your ways, you're going to hell. Now, I know it's true. I preached it this morning rather harshly. I know it's true, but that's not what this woman done. And maybe that's not what we need to do because we know the world's a sinner. And let me tell you something else. When you were out in sin, guess what? You knew you were a sinner too. You don't need to be told what you already know. You need to see some kind of new witness and testimony. And what this woman done was run back and say, you've got to come and see this. I met a man who told me all I ever done. There was something about him so great. Y'all, you, you don't understand. I left all of my work setting. I'm supposed to be bringing water back for this man that I'm with. But I can't do it because he revealed something to me. I know he's got something I need. And y'all need to come check it out also. As it's recorded, it says, Come see a man which told me all things that I ever did. Is not this the Christ? And the whole time the disciples are sitting over here marveling at who he's using, not at what's getting accomplished. Now, how did she know? Because Jesus told her. Matter of fact, he was quite plain in what he told her. I'm going all the way back to verse 10. You see, he started out by saying, give me a drink. He wanted her to trust. He wanted her to trust. She said, why are you asking me? And he looked at her and he said, if you knew the gift of God, if thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to you, to thee, give me to drink, thou would have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. Now he goes on to say, and Jesus looked at her and, 
answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. Talking about Jacob's well, her tradition, her ancestors. If you drink of that which they dug up, you're going to thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Now there's a multitude of ways and a lot I'd like to preach right there. But you can't get to heaven on grandma's blessings. Because your granddaddy laid the foundation to the church, you're not going to heaven. You better lay your own foundations. You better do your own work. Ultimately, all these people come out from the city because this woman went and witnessed to them that, is this the Christ? He said he's got living water that can bring me eternal life. This must be the Messiah. This has to be someone special. He told me all that I've ever done. You've got to come and see. And it says that Many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman, which testified, he told me all that I ever did. So they come out theirself. Verse 40 says, when the Samaritans were coming to him, they besought him that he would tarry with them, and he abode there two days. And many more believed because of his own word. And he said unto the woman, now we believe. Now we believe. Not because of what you said. What you said might have got me here. Your invitation will get someone into the church house. You telling someone what God done for you, what he set you free from, what he has revealed to you, will get them into the house of the Lord. They're not going to come unless you ask. They're not going to come unless they've seen a change in you. Why do they want to come somewhere with you when they've not seen a change in you? What's the point of them looking for change in a place where you can't find it? All right, let me move on. But because they seen a change in her and because she invited them, they came and they said, now we believe. Not because of what he done for you, but because we have seen for ourselves what he can do for me. All right, again, that's the Steve Webb version. We have heard him ourselves and know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Now I'm going to go to something else that John wrote and I'm going to try to wrap this up. Because I need some people tonight that want living water. Why? Because there's a harvest. We don't have four months to wait for a harvest. We stand in the middle of the church and Jesus is standing in our midst and crying out that if something's empty in you, just come. I've got living water. Some of us might be that woman at the well that just needs that encounter and he's telling you, I've got this living water that will lead you to eternal life. Some of you need that living water to be able to be like that woman to go back to somewhere and tell them, let me tell you all that Jesus has done for me. He might have already done it, but maybe you don't have the courage yet. Maybe you don't have that power of the Holy Ghost yet. Over in Revelation 21. And I tell you, you might as well go ahead and get in that living water now. Because you're going to have to live with it for forever if you want Jesus. 
Revelation 21, this is almost the end of the book. I'm going to the end of the book here in a minute. The heading for 21, at least in my Bible, says a new heaven and a new earth. So we have already been raptured away. We have already seen all of the tribulation. We've already seen the thousand-year reign of Christ. Satan has already been defeated for forever. Hell has been brought up and judged and cast into the lake of fire and those that are in hell along with it. It's all done. And a new heaven and a new earth has come. Then you get down to verse 6 and it says, He said unto me, It is done. It is done. There is coming a point for everyone in here where it is done. He said, I am the Alpha and Omega. That's the very first and last letter of the Greek alphabet. He is, in other words, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. Freely. You don't have to pay a dime tonight to live forever. There is not a doctor on this earth that can help you live forever. They can try freezing your body. They can try whatever experimental medicine they want. But there is no one or nothing on this earth that can help you live forever. But if you will get under the fount of that living water, if you will get into the flow of the Spirit, God can give you something which is the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ that will see you live forever. And He gives it freely. It cost Jesus a great price, but it's not going to cost you anything tonight. He that overcometh shall inherit all things. You know what? I don't care what I inherit. It's that next part of the verse that excites me. You see, my inheritance don't mean a whole lot to me. But what excites me is that he said, I will be his God, and he shall be my son. You see, if you will accept the blood of Jesus Christ, you are heirs and joint heirs with Christ. In other words, you are a son of God. You are a daughter of God. Yes, you get all of the inheritance, but when you take that legal adoption, then all of a sudden you are no longer a nobody. You are a somebody, and your name is recorded forever, forever written down in the Lamb's book of life. Only you can walk away from it, but once He writes you down, you, you follow it, you're there. You get it forever, and you can drink freely when you get into the new heaven and the new earth, freely of the water of life, and you will live in eternity. As promised, I'm going over to the end of the book. 22 is the last chapter of the last book. And in mine, it's titled, The Pure River of Life. It says, and he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal. You know where it proceeds from? You know where it flows from? Out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. That same 
water and cry stands tonight. That same water and cry stands tonight. You might even be able to change the wording a little bit to make it sound a little more applicable. Jesus was standing at the last day of the feast. I believe we're standing in the last days. I believe that with everything in me. In those last days, Jesus is still standing and crying. This is going back to my original text, 737. And he's still saying, if anyone's thirsty, let him come unto me and drink. If anyone in this church house is thirsty, let him come to Jesus and drink. Because if you will come and drink and you will believe on Jesus Christ out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. What does that mean? It means that no longer will you be the only one that is going to be concerned about getting to heaven and avoiding hell. When those rivers of living water start flowing out of you, then you can start seeing other people experience the same joys, the same peace, the same power, the same deliverance, the same healing, the same salvation that you shared with Jesus and in Jesus and through the power of the Spirit. How do I know? Because this little Samaritan woman went and she found not a well, not dug up by her ancestors, but she found a river of living water and it fundamentally changed her life. Not only did she make it into heaven, but you need to quit being selfish and looking just within yourself. You will also impact other people and you will have even more crowns of righteousness to toss before the throne of God when you get there. I got to stop. Tonight is this simple. You need the living water. I'm not going to ask you if you do. I'm telling you, you need the living water. You know why? Because if you're saved, it'll empower you. If you're filled with the Holy Ghost, it'll refill you. If you're not saved, it will clean you up. So this call is quite different than what I typically do. I'm just going to open the altars and I'm going to tell you that Jesus is still standing today and he's still crying out, come to me and drink. And that is my call and invitation to you tonight is simply come to the altar and drink of what God has for you.